This is episode 88 of Alohomora for June 14, 2014. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Alohomora, reading the Harry Potter series and taking names. I'm Noah Freed. <laughs> I'm Kat Miller. I'm Eric Skull. And this week, we have a very special guest returning for, I believe, is it the third time to Alohomora? Fourth, I think. Fourth time to Alohomora as a guest host, my longtime podcasting uh, partner, Micah Tannenbaum. I, I feel like you should be playing the Rocky theme or something. Returning champion. <laughs> Returning to the ring. Is it well, four? I think it's four, Yeah, I think right? it is four, yeah. I think it's four. Wow. Micah, you can't get enough of this Harry Potter discussion that we have. No, I mean, I, it, you know, I, I, I just enjoy coming back and talking with all of you. It, it's always a lot of fun, and it's great to always see some of the feedback, some of the feedback uh, <laughs> after these shows. There's, There's been some interesting comments that have been made. What are you talking about? Um, the fans love you, Micah. Uh-huh. So some some don't <laughs> think I know anything about this series. Um <laughs> I've only talked about it for what seven or eight years, uh, something like that. Something like that, maybe even nine at this point. It's uh, it's closer to nine, yeah. In, in like two months, it'll be nine. I years. thought this was the first but, time. I thought this podcast was the first time you had uh, you had talked about Harry Potter. You usually talk about Game of Thrones, right? <laughs> that is true. Um, I transitioned from uh, one to the other, so uh, it's it's good to be back. I, I enjoy coming on and, and talking with you guys. So Mike is talking about Harry Potter, and this week. Of course, we have Chapter 11 of Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, titled The Sorting Hat's New Song. And uh, we do want to remind the listeners of this episode to read The Sorting Hat's New Bag at Song um, before uh, proceeding with our discussion. Mm. Do, do they just have to read the new song portion of it, or they have no, to read no, the whole chapter? No, they got to read the whole chapter. Or they don't have to. Oh. Whole chapter. Yeah, whole, whole it's oh, I just read the song. Get out! Well, get out now. We'll know. We'll know to call on you then um, when we get to that part of the chapter, and perhaps you could even sing it for us, Micah. Perhaps been rehearsing. I'm sure. I thought you could do a theatrical reading. Mm -hmm. Oh, I'd love that. I I, I just thought it was great that the Sorting Hat even was was nice enough uh, to do a new song in this book. Well, you know, I think he feels some sort of obligation, but whoa, whoa. Uh, we can definitely... Eric, we got to wait until we get there. Of course. <laughs> there are other things to get through first, Noah. You know, the song isn't all the Sorting Hat has for us this week. We actually, surprisingly, we have time for an email uh, that came out of this hat. Did I read it in the hat's voice? Uh, I dare you to read it in the hat's that voice. That might be inappropriate given no, the content. No, no. Yes, that's... No. <laughs> We got a message from Lloyd that we would like to share, um, and we don't normally do this on the show, but it is very meaningful um, to us to receive this email, and I'm sure that the listeners will find it important as well. This email, again, is from Lloyd. Lloyd says, I would like to thank you and all of the hosts for being there to comfort and take my mind off things. On Friday, my granddad passed away unexpectedly. It came as a massive shock, and we were all upset. I needed something to help. Guess what I went to? I'll say again, thank you all for taking the audience directly, like friends in a conversation. It's wonderful being able to go straight to people who love and appreciate Potter as much as I do. 
and being able to just listen and laugh, receive my gratitude, and pass it on to the others. Thank you. Well, Lloyd. Very nice Lloyd, sorry there. for your loss. Um, we're really glad that you can find friends in us, and it's one of the many reasons why we do this show. Yeah. That's just a wonderful email and just you know, a testament to what you guys do on a, on a weekly basis, the fact that you're kind of a a way for people to escape from what's going on in the quote-unquote real world. So that's a really great email. Yeah. And, you know, we got some crazy things going on in this world. (laughs) Uh, Craziness craziness all around. Thanks for sharing that with us, Lloyd. And now we're going to talk about the comments on our discussion from last week. Um, Our first one is from Kosky Nation. This is in response to Kat's questioning why Molly's Bogart was so extreme with showing the deaths. As a matter, as a mother of a toddler boy, I can completely understand. Yes, moms generally have consistent worry over their child's safety and future. However, many of us have to fight it with logic instead of giving in and becoming overbearing and too, protect, too protective. So that was in regard to Kat's wondering why Molly's deepest fear was the deaths of her children or the gruesome deaths of her children. And there were several mothers in the comments who, you know, voiced that oh, this is actually a natural fear, including was Dolphin Patronus, Molly Wobbles, and Silver Doe 25. I love that a mother has taken the username Molly Wobbles. That is nice. That is great. (laughs) And I just want to be clear that I don't think it's like crazy and extreme about the fact that Molly's bogger is her children dying. I just think that it it seems um, too catastrophic for every day. That's all. But I'm not a mother, so mm. what the hell do I know? catastrophic for every day? I, I'm not a mother either. Yeah, like... Um, <laughs> oh, my God. Quit pretending. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I I wonder if... And, and I don't know if you talked about this on the previous episode, but would it have been different if um, you know she had encountered this bogger, you know, let's say around the time of Sorcerer's Stone or Chamber of Secrets... Just because, you know, I, I think that they can certainly change. You know, your deepest fears can change over time. Um, and I think that where we are right now in terms of the series, that it's quite possible that, you know, this is her innermost fear at this particular time. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I, I understand what Kat's saying. I, I think it's a great point that, you know, from, from day to day to have that be your utmost fear, I guess, as a mother – it, it has to be at the top of your mind, especially given the context of what's going on. But you wonder if, if you went back a couple of years, if it would still be the same thing. That was exactly the question that I asked. I said, if they weren't in a war zone, in a war time, you know, would it be different? And I mean, I think it might be. I still think it would probably involve something with her children and being injured. But I don't know if she would jump immediately right. to death, to gruesome, mm-hmm. gruesome death. But again, An interesting not question a mother. Would be, what would, what so. would her... Um Bogart take shape uh, before she had kids. Uh, depends on if her brothers died. It would have been. I would have been after that. Let's say, mm. right in that in in between space. Something with he's, Arthur, maybe. Who knows? Person. I mean, I guess Molly is yeah, probably kind of people and mm-hmm. family centric. So yeah, who knows? All right. So our. But thanks for thanks for backing me up on that, Micah. Yep, Appreciate no problem. It. That's why I'm here. <laughs> I was recruited just to. Uh, to do that. He's here on loan. I'm going to leave now. Mike is, Mike is here on loan from the Game of Owns podcast. We have to give him back nice. at the end of the show. And uh, our next comment comes from Elvis Gaunt. 
And this is in regard to the, the Thestrals, and an interesting detail that Joe put in about them being reflected in Luna's eyes. Harry saw the Thestrals and reflected in Luna's eyes, so she is definitely not imagining them. Not that she, that should be. Harry is definitely not imagining them. Why is Harry still uncertain then? Also, if he had told Hermione about them, she would have guessed what they were in an instant. So that's just an interesting suggestion, because it means if, if Harry could see the reflection in Luna's eyes, did he think that that too was another illusion? Mm. Could he have used that to sort of explain it to himself? And uh, a comment under that from Rebecca the Ravenclaw, the phrasing for this was always weird to me. Yeah, they were reflected in Luna's eyes, okay. But does that mean there's not a reflection in anyone else's eyes who can't see the Thestrals? Maybe it's just part of the magic, but I always wondered why the reflection was so important. Like, why can't the horses be reflected in Ron's eyes? Mm, that's an interesting one. I, I think anyone who can see Thestrals could see them reflected um, in anyone's eyes. Um, you know, because, and if you can't see them, you wouldn't be able to see their reflection anywhere. Right. Yeah, I can, I concur. I'm just thinking, what if there were not an elaborate chain of mirrors that was somehow able to convey the Thestral to someone oh. who had not seen death? Now I'm just thinking of that horror film, Mirrors, and it's not a happy thought. <laughs> oh, <laughs> gosh. Like you get mirrors to face each other, and then, then, like, the 15th row of a mirror, there's something coming to get you. It's... T- it's terrifying, terrifying. Ah, don't, don't um, but yes, Thestrals and, um, and why Harry doesn't sort of realize that they exist, it's all to serve the story. Um, that you know We're not at the chapter called Thestrals yet, so we're just going to have to hold off on his fully believing that they exist um, at the moment. I had never picked up on that uh, reflection, though, for yeah. some odd reason. Um, so that, that's a, yeah, a good little detail. If Harry had been a little bit more of a Ravenclaw, maybe he could have reasoned. It, as opposed mm. to think he was going crazy, or maybe mm. going him going crazy is a logical jump. I don't know. That is the last house Harry would ever be in. For the record, <laughs> he is pretty stupid. Oh God, let's face it. <laughs> no, it's not even that. It's just it's the last house he would ever be in. No, maybe I'll have you go over the Sorting Hat song this year because stupid <laughs> is not is not one of the traits. Okay, I mean that's what yeah. that's. Isn't that where, uh, isn't that what Cat thinks of Harry? Yeah. yeah. Isn't that what you're saying? I don't think he's particularly bright, but I don't think he's stupid. Well, you're saying he doesn't value intelligence as well. I think he's a little, I think he's dense. No, I, I mean, I don't think it's at the top of his list. All right, I'll, I'll stop. This Obviously, I mean, me. no, it's fine. Feel free. All right. Bring it on. Well, um, <laughs> our next comment is also about Thestrals, and this is from Skiga. Guy, what a guy. All right. Thestrals are perfect symbols in this book. In this chapter, Harry sees things that have been there all the time, but that he can only now see. Um, that was, that was this is the exact opposite of the events at the end of the book. Harry learns that even though Sirius can no longer be seen, he will still always be with him. The Thestrals give us a visual example of this idea from Joe, so that we may perhaps understand her point in the end. Thestrals are so connected to Sirius, they both represent immediate death. They are both unwilling to be caged. Hagrid seems to be the only one who has domesticated the species and still it's symbolic it's symbiotic relationship. They are both experts when called to action. Now I think Harry should have retired with a Thestral named Sirius by his side. Um, yeah, I like I like the I like <laughs> the connection between um, I guess we could say it was really the grim which keeps being pointed out, um, and all the examples of people looking grimly. I think you get a few more in this chapter. Uh, and Thestrals, Sirius is kind of leaving this world, and the Thestrals um, being examples of you having witnessed people leaving this world. Um, it's a very interesting connection there. 
Yeah, the only part of the comment I disagree with is where it says they both represent immediate death. Um, Because I don't think that's true, because I think Thestrals, obviously, with Harry at least, yes. it takes a while for him to... Yeah, that was we've, to we've talked about that. Yeah, it takes, <laughs> oh, that was it, an Eric... Eric well, just, I know. I probably said, hey, it serves the plot, and I think that's that's what works here. You know, when does when does the death fully sink in, I believe, was the uh, the trick. Maybe, maybe Micah has some thoughts on that. Micah, so here's, here's an interesting question for you. And um, it's going to be answered quickly. After somebody dies, you know, how long does it take to actually see the Thestral? Should you be able to see the Thestral immediately, or does it take some some time? Um, I'm not J.K. Rowling. Um, Man, you're not a mom. You're not J.K. Rowling. (laughs) I was going to (laughs) say. Who are you? (laughs) No, how long does it take? I, I. well, going back to the end of, of Goblet of Fire, I mean, is the, and I can't recall off the top of my head, so I apologize in advance, but um, is there any instance where Harry gets into carriages that, yes. are, that are horse-drawn? He can't see them. Um, he can't see them, right? right. So right. I think it needs, to, it needs to become real for Harry first. I mean, I, I still think he was in a very high state of shock when he was leaving Hogwarts um, at the end of Book 4. And now, since he's had this summer and he's experienced all that he's gone through with these nightmares and he's now back at the school, he's able to have a better understanding of of death. And I think that it's become more real for him. And so that is what enables him to see these creatures. Uh, it's also a clever plot device by J.K. Rowling to connect him with Luna as a character and establish right. this relationship early Almost on in spite of himself. Uh, between the two of them. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. Well, this was up. a podcast question of the week from ages ago, so we shouldn't get into that any further. We got some excellent mm-hmm. responses, which can still be seen on the Illumora website and on the forums uh, for that particular podcast question of the week, which... It was a good question to get Mike to weigh in on. Yeah. It's a great question. Yeah. And speaking of the podcast question of the week, we're going to read some responses from last week's question, um, which I believe was one of Laura's questions, and it was. The series focuses on Gryffindor, but we have gotten a lot of information about all of the houses outside of the books, such as on Pottermore and from interviews with Rowling. For example... Rowling tells us that many Slytherins are good, but yet she doesn't show us many good Slytherins in the book. Does Rowling show well-rounded views of each house in the books, or do the characters we see exhibit more stereotypical house qualities? As one of the only major Ravenclaws in the series, is Luna's lovable, eccentric qualities an accurate representation of her house, or does she give readers a limited view of Ravenclaws? So, as you can imagine, there was a ton of comments. Yeah, go ahead. Weigh in. So, I mean, I know there's not an overwhelming amount of good Slytherins, right? But, um, you know, Snape certainly stands out, even though it takes a while um, mm. for his true colors to show. He's kind of a jerk, though. And he is kind of a jerk, but it doesn't mean that you can't be an inherently good person. Um, he, he had a lot of emotional issues yeah. going on. I mean, I think that's fair to say, right? So, uh, and then also Slughorn, right? Mm. He's a Slytherin. And mm-hmm. he's he's very much a beloved character. At least I I think he is. He he was a, he was a good character for me to read. Um, you know, in Half Blood Prince and beyond. And I think that a lot of people enjoy um him. So, but he's kind of mean and not mean. He's kind of weird. no, no, no. students. And it's only well, Dumbledore. 
But I, I think you could... I, look, if you want to look at that as a flaw, I think you can look at almost any character in the series and pick apart their flaws. Yeah, it's true. Uh, and, and so I think with, with Slughorn, maybe that's the one thing you'd look to say, yeah, he's got a little bit of a, um ego, and he likes to really uh, tout his own qualities and, and the people that he collects. But I, I, I still think that he's a Slytherin that people very much enjoy, and I think that... You know, maybe the list ends there. I'm probably forgetting some, um, but uh, that that's just what jumped to mind, for, at least for the first part of that question. I know she goes on to ask about uh, about Ravenclaw. About Luna, yeah. Um, actually, our guest from last week, Saiyan Girl, who yeah, Noah, you sorry. missed. She was a good. Love she was a good guest. Good, good stuff, Saiyan Girl. Oh, good. And she threw in the <laughs> Dragon Ball Z comment for you. Or I have so. a lot I, to live up to, apparently. Yeah, obviously. But anyway, her her comment says, I wouldn't say she, as in Luna, gives, uh, no, not Luna, rolling, gives us a limited view of Ravenclaw, since we see a lot of Ravenclaws that are more grounded than Luna is, like Terry Boot, Cho Chang, Padma Patil, Michael Corner, and Anthony Goldstein. This actually always led me to believe that contrary to what po- Pottermore states about Ravenclaws, she really was the odd one out. It did appear that she was bullied by her fellow Ravenclaws, and there have been other occasions in the series when Ravenclaws turned out to be surprisingly judgmental. For example, when Harry was chosen as Hogwarts champion and Goblet through no fault of his own. She always made me wonder where the other Ravenclaws like her were, though some of the ones portrayed in the series seemed more unsociable and detached than in possession of the otherworldly creative quality Luna portrays. Wow, that was really well written. Um, it was, and... um. I will say that as a Ravenclaw, I am definitely judgmental. Um, I'll totally own up to that. It's true. Um, hey, I don't hide it. <laughs> I'm a pretty, I'm a pretty honest person in general, um, and I'm not afraid to say that. You know, I judge people. Um, so I actually agree with this comment. I think it's like you said, very well written. What about Terry Boot? Do we really have evidence that Terry Boot is grounded? I think his, I, I think, think his boots are, one. his boots are firmly on the ground. <laughs> or his. I barely remember anything about that guy, so he's, I don't he's, even know he's the most grounded of them all. Boot. All right, so so challenge challenge the listeners. What's up with Terry Boot? Like, what's going Just on? Just lexicon him. Come on. <laughs> Where do we even read about Terry Boot? I, and then go in depth a little bit. Once you lexicon, no. you know, find, extrapolate a little bit, fan fiction stuff. <laughs> the, Where what, in the world? Where is, is Terry Boot, Boot in the books? Our next comment here comes from Accio Potassium. It says. As a Ravenclaw myself, the Ravenclaw house has always been the house of the fundamental teachings of logic. The house in which believes that the mind is stronger than barbaric strength in, uh, in almost every situation. The house in which embodies the idea to try to discover as much information about the amazing world around us and to base our ideas upon logical reasoning. The Ravenclaw house does not believe in what one feels and to believe in ideas in which are supported by factual and testable evidence. Luna Lovegood obviously doesn't follow all my listed perceptions, but what makes Luna a true Ravenclaw is her ability to think differently compared to her peers, and her personality seems to challenge past beliefs on long-standing concepts. So in some ways, she is a noble poster child of Ravenclaw, but maybe not in her logical reasoning and all of her beliefs of this very strange, magical world. I like that we are introduced to Luna. It's sort of the first Ravenclaw, I think, that we pay attention to. Um, I, at least I'm speaking from my own personal experience, um, and that she's the odd one out. Uh, you know, we were, we're met with this, uh, just odd girl 
who doesn't necessarily embody um, all of the traditional, all of what we would see as the traditional traits. Um, but as Accio-Potassium points out, mm-hmm. her penchant for thinking differently um, is actually, you know, the big is the big thing. That was a good word. Penchant. I know. Penchant. And the way you said penchant. it too. Now, now, now this sort of speaks to yeah. a. I'm sort of I, I have a issue with Accio-Potassium because Ravenclaw description here is very much like um, like Spock and like Vulcans. Yeah, I thought about and that too. <laughs> is uh, I thought you might. And my question is, and this goes back to our Sorting Hat discussion, but are Ravenclaws actually smart, or do they just value intelligence? Yes, look, they have to be smart if they want to get into their dormitories at night, okay? Unless unless that answer to the riddle, a circle has no beginning, can be, u- can, Otherwise it's walking can be used on all of their riddles, which would be quite easy. Um, yes, I, I don't think you get into that house without possessing some wits about you. I like that I like the, that Accio-Potassium is... is really got, got me to think about um, Ravenclaw's and the scientific method, which is based in logic and kind of discovery. Logic, discovery, all tied in with the greatest developments in uh, human history. So, mm. But I, is Luna necessarily illogical? Because it doesn't... Luna's way right? illogical. She's reading books upside down. She's putting on glass. I mean, I think she has her own way of investigating um. the world around her. She's yeah. just different. I mean, she approaches things differently. Doesn't make it right. Well, that's or the wrong. thing. Is it, maybe she approaches things differently I'm, in a smart she, way. Yeah, she's not like stupid. She's she's just thinking of things that are. She's still thinking a lot. It's just she's thinking different, unconventional thoughts. Yeah, but there's a there's a word that was used here, which, which was outcast, and I think you can make an argument though that. She's not the only outcast within the different houses that we see. I mean, you can almost make an argument at times that Neville is yeah, an outcast in Gryffindor. And um, you know, going back in time, we don't see Snape's interaction really with the rest of Slytherin House, but you just based on the treatment that he receives from James and, and the Marauders, you could assume that he's a bit of an outcast wow. as well. I mean, I don't know that he, he follows in line. I, I, I don't, I'm sorry, I don't have a Hufflepuff example because I don't Yeah, I was going to say, see, find, find me a Hufflepuff outcast because... Yeah, we don't see enough yeah. of, of them to really pinpoint one, but I think that there's outcasts in each of the different houses. Well, that's because they're all welcoming uh, to each other, of course. Yeah, and, but I, I think <laughs> all of this ties really well in, into the discussion I'm sure we're going to have in a little bit, especially with the, the Sorting Hats song. Yeah. And, and I think it's not just about having one quality or or a series of qualities it's it's kind of about all of these different houses embodying different things that are important what about harry and for, for gryffindor too to some extent you know being an outcast he's popular but he's still maybe different on some level well, he's very much an outcast i mean especially in this book oh I, yeah I, maybe outcast is too strong of a word but he's definitely isolated mm-hmm. and 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 it starts I mean, it starts earlier on in this book, but it really starts um, towards the end of this chapter. Yeah. And that kind of feeds into a comment that we got um, from Ellie Can Fly. That's a cute username. It says, humans naturally like to categorize people. So what Joe writes about in terms of houses definitely reflects the way society likes to see things in black and white terms. Making assumptions about people before we know them is one of the horrible things about our culture. So the very idea of putting 11-year-olds into groups based on what the sorting hat sees in their personality strikes me as a very wrong thing to do. People can definitely change, as Dumbledore professes. It is down to our choices. 
I think that people would be influenced by being put in a certain house and not subcon and sorry and subconsciously absorb some of the traits which they might not have had in the first place. Well, the thing with this is that you've got you have a magic hat, okay? You have a magic hat who isn't who doesn't know you, who's ne who's never met you before, so he's not biased. He's looking into your brain and, and pulling what he sees, which is which is magically devised. So I, I don't think that he's necessarily as wrong as this comment would say, um, because the hat, if we can call him a he, um, is really seeing these qualities and, and kind of acting on those that insight. Whereas your choices do matter, which I think is, I don't want to say it's a cop-out, but it's kind of just an extra excess thing in the background that also exists and causes Harry to be sort of where he is, um, the hat is magic and the hat knows where you would, where you would belong. Um, but, I mean, isn't there some validity to this, though? Because, like, if somebody is focusing on something kind of like Harry was, you know, might that not, I mean, how, how deep does the sorting hat go, I guess? It's probably as deep as you can. You can probably see memories, examples of whether you were uh, a fighter or a flighter um, in confrontation, whether you have been interested mm -hmm. by the basics uh, formations of life, you know, whether you were smushing ants or watching them closely. Beetles. That sounds yeah, very, beetles, that all sounds very <laughs> intrusive. Maybe the sorting hat is a key. The hat can do this. Oh, Jesus. No, no. <laughs> He's very <laughs> penetrative. Um, but, Don't get uh, him started. No, Don't no, no. Hang no. on. But, but you know what I'm saying? So I, I, think that, uh, I think that the hat really could see, um, and this is, there's, there's not really a basis in the books because the dialogue between the hat and Harry is, is always very colored by what Joe is trying to do with him and Voldemort. Um, mm. But I, I think that in a, you know, I think there is something to be said. Ultimately, these these kids, they they we see them having a different experience, being placed in a different house than you know others. But ultimately, the experiences are the same. They're they're going to the same classes. You know, houses are just a, a nice way to conveniently uh, segregate them so that they can all fit into a classroom at a time. Um, when you know they 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 really don't have that many different experiences. The case could be made that it's hard to make friends from different houses. Um, we don't really have enough evidence to support that, whether it's hard or not, because nobody else really tries all that much. I mean, Luna at least is in Dumbledore's army later on, uh, which is founded by the Gryffindors. And, and, and uh, Padma and Ron go out in the Oval. About yeah. that? Well, <laughs> go out with Yeah, Padma. and it helps that his sister made the, made the call on that. True. Um, yeah. I think that's a yeah. good point, though, Eric. I mean, I think that's one of the first times, Dumbledore's Army, where we really see students coming together from different houses really on the same team. Like, there's no, at least as far as we know, there's no Hogwarts Quidditch team where you know, you have the best players from each house is oh, all-star, waiting for the all-star. Together, yeah. you know? And I think that the, the point that she makes here where she says it's down to our choices. Even the sorting hat can be influenced, right? It, it, it takes Harry's choice into consideration. Mm. And that's the whole reason why, you know, uh, maybe not the whole reason why, but it's a large part of the reason why, you know, there's that discussion later on, you know, why, why did he, the hat put him into Gryffindor? Because he asked it to. Well, you similarly, know, you have Dumbledore saying, I think we sort too soon. Which really, if you if you add in the fact that that your choices can can change the Sorting Hat's mind or at least his decision, 
uh, and you add to the fact that Dumbledore 2 questions the sorting, you really get a whole muddled, you know, kind of mess, a puddle of nothing, where you can't really extract any knowledge about what the sorting hat is or does, because it's called into question, so you're just like, well, it is what you want it to be. It's as smart or as not smart as you feel it should be uh, when probing the minds of these kids. But Eric, Eric, isn't it possible that um, Dumbledore was suggesting that Snape might have chose Gryffindor later in life? How do you mean? I mean, uh, no. I mean, yes, but no. I mean, he would have never chosen right. Gryffindor. But I just, I still feel like with my, what Micah was saying that the choice seems to be very important. Mm. Like maybe, maybe there are more choices than we realize. We just saw Harry said, but what if everyone chooses? And that's the, that's the secret. Well, then there's no sorting. Yeah, I mean, if everybody just gets to choose the right. house, then it's a popularity contest, and nobody gets picked in Hufflepuff. <laughs> no, well, no. I bet that is not true. I bet there are plenty of people. Yeah, just to avoid the wars between Gryffindor and Slytherin, or the people who just don't don't. They're too confused, or they like all the houses, or they get, uh, or they choke on the um, what is it, the the flu powder, and accidentally say (laughs) diagonally (laughs) instead of uh, (laughs) Gryffindor or Slytherin. Well, we have one final comment here to wrap up this, I guess, wrap up. It's from Rebecca the Ravenclaw, and it is response in response to something that um, Hufflepug says <laughs> on the uh, – yeah, it's a, cu- it's a cute name. Um, it says, rather than viewing each house as a single personality trait, you either have it or you don't, it is better to view the houses as scales of various degrees spanning from one end to the other. For example, Ravenclaw is logical to creative. It gives a much rounder and fuller view of the house as a whole. I also think you can put a positive or negative spin on each house's attributes, depending on your own views and opinions. Slytherin's cunning nature is not inherently negative. It is just the perspective we get through Harry. I disagree with the, the logical to creative spectrum. It's logical to irrational. Mm, mm, I would disagree with that, but well, I mean, we could probably go on for this forever. Why do you disagree? I, because I don't think that being, I don't think irrational is a... You know, Isn't a, that the opposite a, of logical? A, or maybe emotional uh, versus logical? I don't know. What is the opposite Illogical. of logical? <laughs> Illogical? Yeah, exactly. Not irrational. They're, they're very different. Irrational and illogical. Yeah. I mean, if rational... How, though? Rationality is like logic. All right. Not. Do you want me to read definitions to you? Yes. Let's see. Okay. Let me, let me define them first. Hold on. I'm going to get actual... You know, this is this is covered in this chapter, guys. I mean, this is at least in terms of how how it relates to the houses. Um, because I find myself creative and logical. Oh, you have you. I think mm. in order to be creative, you have to set a little bit of logic. You have to feel, and logic feeling is not about logic. Well, unfortunately, this is kicking. This is proving me wrong because the definition of irrational is not logical. <laughs> oh. And a synonym is illogical. Um, I, guess really I view thought. them as very... Yeah, I view them... No. <laughs> I view them as very different oh, things. Oh, being um, irrational but, versus being illogical? Oh, it's something you can yeah, rationalize but, um, would truly have its basis in logic, but you can rationalize a whole lot that isn't logical. So I can see where the uh, confusion would be. Yeah, I, I just like what right. uh, they said about putting either a positive or a negative spin on each house's attributes. It, it, it If you give me a, a second here, it reminds me of, of something from Game of Thrones where th- there's a line about, you know, there's good and evil on every side in every war. Mm. 
you know, it's it's not always good versus evil. And I, I feel it's it's kind of the same here. It's not just that it's one defining trait for a house. It may just be that that trait or that series of traits seems to be more kind of it seems to to stand out more in that person, at least at that time, than the others. And and that's why they're being sorted into these houses. But they don't necessarily need to be viewed as being positive traits or negative traits. And and that's what they kind of get into at the end, talking about, you know, Slytherin's cunning nature not necessarily being inherently negative. It's just that that's how it's perceived through the one person's perspective that we're reading this story through. Well, something that it reminds right. me of really talking about houses, and, and the good thing is that the, all this discussion is relevant and serves very successfully, I think, to introduce this coming chapter. Um, but what, it, what uh, it reminds me of is, uh, I believe, what we call the four temperaments or the four humors, um, which is a proto-psychological theory that suggests that there are four fundamental personality types, and they are sanguine, which is pleasure-seeking and sociable, choleric, which is ambitious and leader-like, melancholic, which is analytical and quiet, and phlegmatic, uh, which is relaxed and peaceful. Most formulations include possibility of mixtures of the type. So these four uh, humors, as I once learned, are quite popular in pretty much any they- any group of four that you find in literature. It's, it's uh, tend to have a great basis for comparison versus these four humors. Uh, the Ninja Turtles are a actually really good example of mm. these four different ones. But I think that they... The truth is everyone loves pizza. They also... They all like pizza. <laughs> so they're really not all bad. Um, you, you know, I would really hate the Slytherins if they didn't like pizza. But I think it applies to the Hogwarts houses as well. You could say that um, the ambitious uh, ones would be... The choleric would be Slytherin... Um, relaxed and peaceful would be Hufflepuff, analytical and quiet would be Ravenclaw, and um, pleasure-seeking and sociable could be Gryffindor, if I said that right. But, um, I mean, I think so, looking into it, this is like a historical, um, you know, throughout history, you have been able to break psychology into four different personality types, um, or at least it's been, you know, done before, into four personality types that are kind of shared by each of these Hogwarts houses. Um, I'm not saying that Joe saw Ninja Turtles and said, that's a great idea, but it goes back to the Greeks, um, the four humors. If you just want to search the four humors, you can find out more information. I I think it boils down to this. Uh, These kids are going to school. They needed to be separated because there's only so many beds in each Mm -hmm. wing, right? So, look, they they need to sleep somewhere, and and that's (laughs) it. End of story. Like I said before, too, fitting in classrooms. We've taken it down to the most basic level. This is, uh, you know, uh, Hogwarts... Um, houses analyzed one on one, and we've j- didn't Dumbledore say something about doing what was easy versus well, doing what as was we easy. learn in this chapter, Noah. It came from four different personality types of each of the founders of Hogwarts, who had four different views as to what students they should accept. So it's kind of interesting. I mean, we're kind of meta critiquing it about you know there are only four personalities in this world, um, but also those four personalities were embodied by each of the four founders of the houses. And that is why you get these four distinct, you know, types of individuals being trained at the same school, but in their own individual houses, mm-hmm. spending time with I, their I, like-minded people. I have, a, I have a question. I know, I know, we want to get to this chapter, and mm-hmm. it all kind of ties in. But do, do you think anybody's ever transferred houses? That's a good question. 
Oh, I don't I, know. I think <laughs> you must be able Is to that... flunk out of Ravenclaw, right? You just I don't can't know. get into that. The common <laughs> enough. <laughs> you start becoming part of the, the secret fifth house of Hogwarts, which is like the... Run by the homeless. Yeah, he just keeps kids the, locked. He just keeps in chains. Rift dungeon. Riff the Raff, divergent. Riff house. Um, Let us out. Let it be years. Yeah. Mm. Please. Uh, hmm. I don't know. That's yeah. interesting. It's a good thought. Maybe if you write a letter to Dumbledore, that seems to be the uh, the whole solution. Ask Dumbledore. Aww. I'm, I'm going to, you know what I'm going to do? Continue. Okay. It's, it's very well known um, that I do not follow J.K. Rowling on Twitter. And this, this might shock people. You know, she started to tweet now. I know we don't have Mothercast to talk I'm, about this, but. I was made aware of this. She's tweeting like yes. every day now. I'm going to ask her this question. And I think it's a good question. And I, and I hope that I still get an answer. And if she actually answers me, I will follow her. Okay. Okay. We will we will all retweet you and everybody listening will retweet you and maybe I'm she'll not, see I'm it. I'm not going to agree like to retweeting until I hear his question. <laughs> oh. What? No. Well, that's the quick the the changing yeah. oh, question. Well, it's a good question then. I'll retweet that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, ditto. Right. There we go. And, uh, totally. Can Muggle Do it. it? Yeah. yeah, that's what I'm saying. Oh, we're going to retweet that. Get, heck we're going to get onto that. But um yeah, we're so, gonna get her so to apart from our, our tweet assault of J.K. Rowling, which will, will be taking place immediately <laughs> following the recording of this episode, we have our chapter discussion, which is chapter 11. Uh, I will, uh, Michael, take it from here. Our Hogwarts is in danger. Chapter 11, from external deadly foes. The Sorting Hat's new song. <laughs> so now we're talking about chapter 11. Uh, there is kind of an interesting point. Uh, it plays very much in the background sort of during the rest of the events of this chapter, but in the very beginning of the chapter, Ginny brings up uh, Grubbly Plank, and they've seen Grubbly Plank, and she's like, what's that woman doing here? Um, they notice as they get to the Great Hall in this chapter that Hagrid is still not back, and they, they, they don't know how they feel about this. But as they're getting on the carriage... Luna um, makes a no-no. She makes she makes a mistake. She states, I will be quite glad if he has left. He's not a very good teacher, is he? Mm-hmm. Question mark. And immediately, Harry and Ron and Ginny, I think, all say, yes, he is. And Hermione, quite comically, actually, I guess, probably agrees with Luna until Harry gives her the stink eye. And then she's like, well, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, he is. And Luna, poor little Luna, who has just met this group, has to defend herself. But she says, well, us Ravenclaws do not think that he is a good teacher. Um, so Hagrid gets... And they, and they should have. Well, yeah. With good reason. Yeah. Well, are we on the Ravenclaw's side then? I mean, here's Ravenclaws who seek knowledge. And apparently Hagrid is not delivering that for them. You know what? I would have a freaking blast in Hagrid's <laughs> class. I don't even care. You, you say that. I would have so much fun in that class. You would not enjoy the flabberworms. Um, that's not true. I very the well might. I don't know. I've never met a flobberworm. But Luna's not wrong here. I mean, Hagrid is, you know, by all, in my opinion, a terrible teacher. Mm. You know, he, he's able to well, teach, show them how to, you know, play with the creatures and, and they can learn stuff about them. But they could read that in a book without, because the, the practical courses are very impractical in that they uh, are often in danger. They often become very dirty. I mean, the dirty's okay. That's, uh, that's the dirty's okay. But the, uh, 
I no, but I, but I think that he exposes them to creatures that they probably otherwise wouldn't have that level of exposure to, uh, because he is so you know willing to to take these creatures in and and not really afraid of them. At the end of the day, he tries to see the good in in all these creatures. It starts all the way back in Sorcerer's Stone, sure. but yeah, I I think that for uh, you know plot points. There's always some sort of tie to these creatures that he's taking care of or that he's quote unquote teaching about in his class. It, it serves a larger point. They somehow come into play because as we know, JK Rowling is so good at, at kind of incorporating that into her storytelling. And, right. um, I, as far as being an actual good teacher, I, I kind of agree with Kat. Like he's a class that you probably always want to go to because you know, you're going to laugh or you're going to have fun or it's just going to be easy to get by. I don't think he's qualified to teach mm-hmm. a class at Hogwarts, mm-hmm. if I'm being completely honest. No. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that Luna's right, and that is the Ravenclaw coming out in her, and, and it, she points out the fact that others have stated that. And But but I think the Slytherins would say that it's it's hard because we know how Malfoy feels about Hagrid, but, but that's more of a personal thing and right. less of an actual evaluating him as a teacher. I mean, Luna may think great things about Hagrid as a person, but she but she's able to distinguish between him as a person and him as a teacher, whereas I think Malfoy or Crab, Goyle, anybody in, in the Slytherin house just looks at him as a big oaf and dislikes him across yeah. the board. Yeah. Well, and and the same for, I guess, Harry and Ron. They see Hagrid as awesome because he's their friend and all of that, yeah. so they don't care what kind right. of teacher he is. And, and Hermione can also distinguish. You know, she's, she's kind of like Luna right. where... She sees him as being a good person, but not necessarily as a good teacher. Well, she was almost right. a hat stall. <laughs> I was a hat stall. Ooh. So was I. Maybe every, three of four. Three of four on the show right now th- are, were hat stalls. We're just so confused. Eric, you were not a hat stall. No, I was not a hat stall. You were You were a badger. I wasn't a hat stall. Oh. All right. No, I, I, I agree <laughs> that Hermione is able to distinguish, and I think she's going back to book three. She's pretty relieved as well when when Grubbly Plank. She, she I think she says something like it's a nice change of pace um, from Hagrid's classes when he has that uh, that moment of time when he's not uh, teaching. Um, but on to the next point. Of course, they they do get to the Great Hall. Um, Dumbledore solves, I guess, the mystery because he introduces Grubbly Plank as being this year's care of magical creatures. Wait, Eric, I don't mean to break in. I do mean to break in. What kind of name is Grubbly Plank? Well, it's... <laughs> An uh, awesome one. Grubbly Plank from the Irish Grubbly Plank. Um, is, <laughs> that sounds more French, but uh, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I've, I'm confusing my French and Irish. Um, no, I think grub, Grubbly, Grubby, Grubworm kind of is where I go. He sounds like a... She's probably a Pokemon. Just kind of goes around. <laughs> Grubbly Plank! Grubbly Plank! <laughs> yes, Yes and no. I mean, maybe she draws on people's faces if they fall asleep in her classes. Um, I think that? it's. I think it's meant to be earthy. Didn't we get- it's meant to be earthy. A plank is like, as in a plank of wood. Um, you know, maybe in a garden somewhere where there are grubs. Uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I imagine it's it's just a very earthen name. I bet she was a Hufflepuff too. You know, just throwing that out there. So, Grubbly Plank is the care of magical creatures teacher. Uh, Dumbledore doesn't say for how long, and Ron speculates what we later find out to be true, which is that uh, maybe Hagrid isn't back from his mm. mission, that thing he was doing over the summer for Dumbledore. Mm. Well, the lights were out. That should have been an instant giveaway. 
That nobody was home? Yeah, Harry's kind of <laughs> looking over, trying to check it out um, while he's on his little horse and buggy ride, little carriage ride. Meanwhile, no Just one's being Fang. Fang is yeah. <laughs> so this is the uh, this is the Sorting Hat singing at. I'm just gonna imagine you in your cubicle when when you do this. Ooh, I should I should talk. In times of old, when I was new and Hogwarts barely started, the founders of our noble school thought never to be parted. United by a common goal, they had the selfsame yearning to make the world's best magic school and pass along their learning. Together we will build and teach, the four good friends decided, and never did they dream that they might someday be divided. Or were there such friends anywhere as Slytherin and Gryffindor, unless it was the second pair of Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw? So how could it have gone so wrong? How could such friendships fail? Why, I was there, and so can tell the whole sad sorry tale. Said Slytherin will teach just those whose ancestry is purest, Said Ravenclaw will teach those whose intelligence is surest. Said Gryffindor will teach all those with brave deeds to their name. Said Hufflepuff, I'll teach the lot and treat them just the same. These differences called, caused little strife when first they came to light. For each of the four, four founders had a house in which they might take only those they wanted. So, for instance, Slytherin took only pure blood wizards of great cunning, just like him. And only those of sharpest mind were taught by Ravenclaw while the bravest and the boldest went to darling Gryffindor. Good Hufflepuff, she took the rest, and taught them all she knew. Thus the houses and the founders retained friendships firm and true. So Hogwarts worked in harmony for several happy years, but then discord crept among us, feeding on our faults and fears. The houses that, like pillars four, had once held up our school, now turned upon each other and divided, sought to rule. And for a while it seemed the school must meet an early end, what with dueling and with fighting and the clash of friend on friend. And at last there came a morning when old Slytherin departed, and though the fighting then died out, he left us quite downhearted. And never since the founders four were whittled down to three have the houses been united as they once were meant to be. And now the sorting hat is here, and you all know the score. I sort you into houses because that is what I'm for. But this year I'll go further. Listen closely to my song. Though condemned I am to split you, still I worry that it's wrong. Though I must fulfill my duty and must quarter every year, still I wonder whether sorting may not bring the end, I fear. Oh, know the perils, read the signs, the warning history shows, for our Hogwarts is in danger from external deadly foes. And we must unite inside her, or we'll crumble from within. I have told you, I have warned you, let the sorting now begin. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Everyone. Well, I, I didn't realize I didn't realize there was only people. Oh, oh wow. Oh wow, this is great. Oh, wait, thank Encore. You, Mom, dad. One more song. One more song. <laughs> wow. Wow. Just end the show right there. Yeah, we're I done. Right. Right. You can even move forward. <laughs> uh, you know, so we got this notion that really if you have brave brave deeds to your name or your intelligence is surest or if you have pure blood you're in one of the three houses and if you don't you're in Hufflepuff there has to be non-pure bloods in Slytherin I mean Voldemort oh I'm sure there are but I mean fundamentally let's let's say 
um, that perhaps back then there weren't purebloods in Slytherin? That's kind of a BS, I don't know, that's kind of a BS trait. But that's why I'm saying it comes back down to (laughs) values. If you value pureblood, then you go in Slytherin. But you don't necessarily have to have pureblood, just like you don't necessarily have to be intelligent. I suppose that's that's true, and and also it it doesn't speak as much about personality, because, I mean, the people of pureblood could be any personality type. Um, But I I think what what it's meant to show, I mean, this happened a thousand years ago, um, that... Wow. What? Good, Good rhyme. Did it? Did I rhyme? Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm caught. Mm-hmm. J.K. Rowling, it's Show catchy. You. you know, she would make a great rapper. You could rap this uh, sorting. Oh, Lord. Joe, you hear that? You know that? she can rhyme. You know she can rhyme. Her songs are the best. Um, J.K. Rowling. YouTube video would get a lot of J.K. Rowling's. Keep Rowling's, Rowling's. Rowling's. Uh, Rowling's. Anyway. <laughs> oh, God. No, but it, it's just interesting to see, yet again, another commentary on how the horse, uh, how the horses, the horses. Are horses of the apocalypse. I'm not sure if they fit the personality. No, do not even try and tie this yeah, in no. but, uh, <laughs> to our discussion. The four now. houses, okay, um, we were talking about this. The interesting thing here is that the, the sorting hat is, is almost second, well, he's second guessing himself. He's second guessing his purpose. Uh, somebody at the the staff table is like, man, oh man, he's putting himself out of a job quick if he keeps guessing himself. But it's it's for a cause, right? Eric, who who told the Sorting Hat that uh, that Hogwarts was in danger? How, did, how does the well, Sorting Hat know? And is the Sorting Hat a, that gets a, a, questioned like in this chapter? Not the he or she or Sorting Hat. It's a hat. It's because he hangs out in Dumbledore's office. Yeah, it's and that that's said in this chapter. And um, I, he talks. About I was wondering about that. I was going to ask. Do you think they have conversations? I don't think they have yeah. conversations. Well, who else is he going to talk to? In well, the office? sorting hat was God. Well, the sorting hat was Godric Gryffindor's hat, um, Godric Gryffindor's own hat, which he at some point enchanted. And I believe it's said that he only enchanted the sorting hat after he was to die or leave the school. Um, I mean, I like to think of this sort of, you know, duo of Godric, Godric and his hat on the road, you know, on horseback, having these great conversations about life. Um, but I think the hat. The hat was really, I think it's in a previous song uh, where it is said that he plucked it off his head and, and bestowed it with magical gifts. But, you know, I think they probably talk to, to each other, Dumbledore and the hat. Maybe Dumbledore wears the hat and is another <gasps> form of kind of figuring things and out. And is fabulous. Yeah. But, um... Playing pretend, pretending to be Godric in his... Uh, but, his it, you know, the interesting thing, we're talking about Godric Gryffindor, but nearly had this Nick really is able to shed the most light uh, on the sorting hat, and this comes from Nicholas, uh, having been dead for 500 or so years, has witnessed the sorting hat do this sort of thing before. So Harry, Ron, and Hermione are a little shocked, they're a little taken aback, they're like, and, and all the students are kind of talking, they're like, well, what, what just happened here? And as it turns out, the sorting hat kind of stepped beyond his own boundaries, and even said he would in the little, you know, speech, but he has begun to issue a warning to the students. Um, and Nick says that he's done this before. Nick actually says, here's a quote, uh, the hat feels itself honor-bound to give the school due warning uh, whenever it feels, and then he's cut off, he says, he's felt, he's seen it, sorry, he's heard the hat give several warnings before, always at times when it detects periods of great danger for the school, and always, of course, its advice is the same, stand together, be strong from within. So the sorting hat is kind of a—he's only got one tune to sing, as it turns out. 
Um, it is always, apparently, this, this message to stick together. But it's an important message, and it's certainly one that's super important to be getting at this book, you know, at the beginning of this school year. Wouldn't you say? Yes. Mm-hmm. And, well, and it, Sorry. Sorry. Well, no, I was just going to say, and it precedes Umbridge, uh, which you know, is, is a moment where you can tell that there's going to be some division that's going to be created throughout the course of the school year because you have another Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher who has arrived at Hogwarts, and we always know that they're somewhat of a polarizing figure um, based on what's happened in previous books. And I think knowing as, as little as we do on Umbridge right now from the trial earlier in the book and knowing that she's now at the school, uh, she's here on behalf of the ministry, and I think that that's more or less what the Sorting Hat is alluding to, that you know that the school itself is going to need to come together, not only because there's you know, meddling from the government, but there's also the very real possibility that Voldemort has returned. Hmm. Well, that's a good point. I'd never thought about the whole Umbridge angle with the Sorting Hat. Yeah, I mean, the Umbridge, does Umbridge really try to separate houses from each other or kind of compete against the school? I guess in some way she does with later with her Inquisitorial squad. We notice that sort of an, un, a disproportionate amount are Slytherins. Um, of course, yeah. What house was she in? Do we know this? Um, I don't know if we know. I'll look. Probably Slytherin. My instinct is Slytherin, but I'm probably just a Slytherin. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> But no, I mean, if, if, the, and the reason why I tied back into the sorting hat, and, and we mentioned a bit earlier, was that, you know, she is the reason why we really see for one of the first times multiple houses coming together for one purpose in, in Dumbledore's army. And, and I think that that's how it kind of all works together that the, the sorting hat is saying to beware, but, you know, that the only way to overcome this is to unify, right? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and I could be wrong, but I think this is one of the last times we hear from the Sorting Hat, if not the last time we hear from the Sorting Hat. So it, it, it has more meaning than just this book and this, you know, this series of events. It goes beyond that. It goes in all the way to Deathly Hallows in terms of unification. And even, even though the war sort of sees people of multiple houses joining in science against Voldemort, there still seems to be a disconnect between the four houses, and they never quite unify. You know, still even you know, presumably after several years in the prologue, when uh, they're still sorting. So it's just this sort of yeah. initial thing goes on. But I've always um, wondered. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say she's definitely a Slytherin. So Joe revealed it at a casual vacancy event in 2012. Mm. So there you go. Uh, no, I was just going to say I've always wondered that though, based on the story that we hear. Um, in this chapter is will the houses ever really fully unite right because it doesn't seem like they have since the founders broke apart right uh, and and maybe what you need is is four heads of house and a house ma- and, a, and a headmaster that are going to work extremely hard to make that happen to make the um you know the houses really come together at the end of the day and yeah, but it, but it's almost like is it is it taboo? Is it is it a curse? Because Slytherin walked away, and things have never ever been the same mm. since. It would be you interesting know. to know if it changed after Voldemort is dead. Yeah, that would be an interesting question. 
Because one of the big issues is blood status for Slytherins. So if the Wizarding World at large is more becomes more accepting of, of well, uh, Muggleborn, well, well, not for Slytherins, but for Salazar, it was well, anyway. Not necessarily for current. Well, what Slytherins. is it that's keeping these houses apart? I mean, from each other. I mean, they they room separately, they dorm separately, but that's just what you have to do in a school with a limited number of, as you say, dormitories, and you know they have to be s- separated out. But I, I don't quite understand exactly, and I think I don't think we're meant to understand specifically why these houses haven't been united in in quite the same way since. Uh, I think it's just stereotypes. Yeah. Over the years, yeah. I mean, everything gets watered down, and it's like when you fight with somebody, you don't talk for a while, and you suddenly don't remember why you were fighting. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of one of those things. It's just been so long that you're like, oh, okay, I mean, it's, it's a little cryptic here when the Sorting Hat talks about fighting, you know, friend on friend, um, you know, fighting each other. And this is this is obviously mm-hmm. something that happened between Gryffindor and Slytherin, who are specifically pointed out as being a pair of, you know, closest friends. Um you know what? I, you know what? Another point I found mm-hmm. interesting. I know we have to move on, but it was cool that Slytherin and Gryffindor were friends, and Hufflepuff and Ravenclaw were. When I thought it was Ravenclaw and Slytherin that often had um, connections, uh, just based on yeah. appealing to you logic, know. it seemed. And uh, Hufflepuff and Gryffindor are all about loyalty and something. Mm. Something. Terms yeah. Of that, you know. No, I think that is interesting. And goodness, you know, goodness being between. Like sort of a sense of, uh, of virtue with Hufflepuff and Gryffindor versus Ravenclaw and Slytherin. There's a sense of uh, inevitability Certain of the way things are. Yeah, I'm just sort of tapping to that. Uh, no, I would agree with that. Well, we know that the Sorting Hat uh, spends all year uh, coming up with um, his next song. It's kind of his his only duty, his only job. Wouldn't be doing his job if he didn't. You know, put some effort into it. Something tells me Presumably that you can't do anything else. Yeah, something tells me that that song. Uh, um, probably came about due to more recent events. Apart from the Sorting Hat's song or speech, we have uh, we are we have to endure another speech, and this speech is by Umbridge. And you know, I enjoyed reading this uh, speech more recently. Several of us have probably seen the movie uh, more often than we've read this book. Um, I think the movie does a pretty good job in adapting it. Don't know if you guys would agree or disagree on that point. Um, I'd say so. But he does a great job with Umbridge in general. Mm. Yeah, she's so amazing and talented and awesome. Yeah, Um, And we're really just introduced into her speech. And I I think it's important that she's characterized as having interrupted Dumbledore. Um, The teachers appear offended. Harry notices that the teachers appear offended by it. Dumbledore... Dumbledore just totally... Maybe uh, for a... Yeah, maybe for a second he feels interrupted and then he just kind of bows... And he compliments Umbridge at the end of it, which is very political, very diplomatic. Um, but a lot of the students are, as well, it says, you know, sort of talk during her speech. And she does not have this instant respect um, for the students. And it, it makes me wonder if it's a nice foreshadowing of how she'll never be able to really be a Dumbledore. She'll never be able to get full control of these students. Because Wait, she- Eric, are you suggesting that the Hogwarts student body is uh, sexist? No. Why no? Where did I say that? No, because Umbridge is a woman. That they're not. <laughs> no, it's not. No, sex. no, it's not about sex. Look, she oh, interrupts Dumbledore, who everybody loves. Although, admittedly, in this year of Hogwarts, not everybody loves Dumbledore. So perhaps my reasoning is flawed. But because he is a position of authority, a headmaster, and he's being interrupted, he was probably not, you know, previously briefed on the fact that she wants to make a speech, and she stands up 
and that the teachers are unable to hide their own disappointment or frustration or anger about it really gives the kids that blank check or that freedom of, of, of discussion. I mean, she doesn't overstep over, you know, really overstep her bounds, I don't think. I mean, some kids would argue with her making the speech. But if she notices that the kids are, you know, talking over it, and, and many children are, um, the girls are talking about her cardigan, um, or is it Seamus? Or, no, it's, I think it's Ron who says, uh, just make, don't make me wear the cardigan. Um, but she doesn't demand silence. She doesn't command the sort of respect, and she doesn't get it from these kids at this point, at this juncture. And it's a bad first impression, I think, even for people who aren't sitting there deciphering her um, opening you know, speech the way that Hermione is. I, I'm pretty sure it's a Lavender who doesn't want to wear the cardigan. There no. you go. Oh, yeah, Lavender and Pravati mm-hmm. are talking about her the whole time. She's very um, staged, right? It's it's very political. Incredible. It's very much um, what you would expect of somebody who takes their job extremely seriously uh, in a place like the ministry and, and works for somebody like uh, Fudge. And I think that, uh, you know, I, I don't remember if, if in the film exactly – uh, they talk over her. I, doesn't Dumbledore ask for silence? Yeah, on her behalf, I think. And, and and she just and then from that point forward, she's able to state what she needs to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do think it's it's extremely important that Hermione is able to really dig deeper into what is being said uh, than just uh, face value. And I think that's in a way you could argue a little bit of the Ravenclaw uh, side of her that. A lot of people argue she should have been sorted into, right? And I think that um, you know you see the complete contrast with Harry and Ron, who are just kind of dozing off, right? Being dense, yeah, <laughs> which they're both very good at. You br- it was brought up before about the the interruption, but the fact that somebody who is just a defense against the dark arts teacher, right? It, it's not like she's deputy headmistress mm. and she's coming in to speak and she's talking about all of these proper protocols that need to be followed and, and, and you know, she's addressing the entire student body, you know, and, you know, we never see anything like that from Moody or, or Lupin or Lockhart really to oh, that bro. extent. It's yeah. it's her self importance coming through is what it is. I th- she thinks that she's a, you know, big head honcho because she's been put there by the minister. Well, I, I think that's so. I think that's it though. Is the reason that she does make a speech kind of it is overstepping in the way that you're right. She is just a care. Uh, d- sorry, defense against the dark arts teacher. Um, whereas secretly she's really there to spy on Dumbledore. Right. So kind of giving a speech and not kind of blending in makes her makes her stand out and makes people resist her I think more naturally um, so it's a bad first day for for umbridge of course uh, the next Only it's better from there. the next chapter is devoted entirely to her so we will just uh, move on um, before the end of the evening though and, and Harry is everybody's well fed by the time that umbridge gets up to speak and they're all kind of dreaming of their their beds up above, the four posters, of course, in the Gryffindor common room. Harry uh, notices that the common room is as welcoming as ever, and he does he does go into it, although he is left alone by uh, Hermione and Ron, who are prefects and have to slowly kind of get everybody else to where they need to go the first years for the first time. Um, I loved Harry, uh, Ron's comment about, come on, you midgets! <laughs> <laughs> you can't say that word, Ron! Yeah. 
Totally. And then he calls him Titchy. Titchy? Yeah, it must be a British thing. No, I'm sure it is. It probably means twitchy or... Uh, or Where's Rosie when you need her? <laughs> Maybe she can explain uh, out of order as well. You're out of order, Seamus. Um, but Harry gets up and immediately kind of walks in. He gets the feeling that he's intruding on a discussion between Dean and Seamus. We know Dean and Seamus are friends. Harry gets along with them. You know, he always liked Seamus. But the problem is that Harry has walked in and Seamus had said that uh, his mom almost didn't want him to come to school this year. And this develops into the issue that we know, which I think is also particularly well portrayed in the film um, version. But in general, um, Harry feels what's the word, discriminated against, because basically people are, well, we know the Daily Prophet is slandering him um, and making him out to be this giant liar, and same with Dumbledore. And so people now, people's parents are not wanting their kids to be influenced by these lies. And knowing that Seamus has to share a bedroom with him um, has not really been easy on, on Seamus's mind. And this is what they were talking about just as Harry walked in. And for the record, Titchy means very small. Hmm. And out of order means, you know, you're, you're being rude. Like out of line. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But is Seamus, I mean, Seamus sits in a tough position here. Harry's in a bad position. Nobody's winning here. Nobody wins this argument. Um, it's really unfortunate to see that there's more, you know, persecution kind of to be had for Harry. Um, even among, he's not even safe from it in his own dorm room. So I put it. Oh, yeah. sorry. Oh no, go on. I was just gonna say that I particularly love when Seamus like pulls his curtains closed and he pulls them so hard that they come off the <laughs> They're off the bed. Curtains, crappy, dusty curtains. They never work well anyway. <clears throat> I know, but like it just you know that happens when you're so mad about something and you're like passionate about it and you just you're so pissed off whatever you know harry's got his wand at him too i mean it's it's in it's in the text that harry is pointing his wand at seamus and that's that's a pretty big deal considering i mean i don't know we know how few spells harry actually knows but still i mean he could jelly legs jinx him or something if it came to that and yeah mm. <laughs> we do know he loves that one yeah. he loves it but ron seems to arrive at, at you know just the right time to kind of break up what, what could have been a, a nastier fight than it was. And Harry goes to bed just feeling not very happy at all, not very glad at all about these parents, about the situation. And he takes comfort in knowing that perhaps Dumbledore has faced the same persecution that he has, and that maybe that's why Dumbledore isn't speaking with him. And Seamus is very titchy, too. <laughs> He's very protective of his mother. He thinks Harry's having a go at his mother. That's the, the big one that bothers him. Yeah. Well, I mean, Harry is kind of, isn't he? Well, in the movie, it's worse because he says, you're stupid mum. But he really just says, I'll have a go at, at anyone who calls me a liar. And I think that's fair. It's, you know, it's fair. Um, Seamus, Seamus goes so far as to inquire. He says, well, what really did happen at the end of last year? But right. that's, that's, where, yeah, it, that's where it crosses the line because you're supposed to already know what happened. Like... But, like, why hasn't, like, I feel like these guys are his closest friends. So why wouldn't Harry just be like, oh, okay, well, here's what happened. Yeah, and go into it again. I mean, at least with the three of them and Ron, Mm. you know, like, uh, 
I don't know. I mean, it's probably because he's already so agitated. But. Yeah. Yeah, he's emotional about it. He doesn't want to relive the memories. You know, uh, another interesting thing that comes out of this little skirmish here is that we find out Dean, uh, we may find out for the first time that Dean is muggle-born, um, but he says both his parents are muggles, so they don't really have an issue with him coming to school because they don't know about it. Um, and Neville, in, in all of his grandmother's glory, um, has chosen to cancel her subscription to the Daily Prophet because she feels that it is not Dumbledore who's you know losing his way or Harry who's going crazy, but in fact the darn news media. Which is wild because they're like two newspapers. I know. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? You're not gonna get the news anymore. <laughs> I I just love it because I don't know. I feel like she's so old fashioned and rogue. so stuck in her ways about a lot of things. I'm really proud of her. Um, for, you know, believing in Dumbledore. Actually, I'm really proud of her. Like, I think she's a pretty awesome woman. Yeah. Thank you, Kat. <laughs> oh, boy. She's uh, probably dead by I now. Think, oh. Thank you, Kat. No, don't say that. I, 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 wasn't she in the Battle of Hogwarts? <laughs> yeah, but that happened that in somewhere? 1998. Oh, she's still kicking 16 around. years later? Yeah. Wizards live to be like 150. You know this. Oh, that's true. That's true. Okay, the point I was trying to make <laughs> was um, I, I think this really starts to f- um, form the foundation of who Harry can trust, um, especially as this book goes on. You know, Neville comes to the forefront, Luna to some extent, um, you know, earlier in the chapter and even in the chapter before this, you know, and, and he finds allies in sort of the most unlikely of places. And that starts to build the you know the real foundation for Dumbledore's army that's true yep can I mention something that we skipped over earlier that I really want to talk about oh gosh please it's just a very brief moment it's when they're scanning the room looking to try and find Hagrid it says that Dumbledore had his head tilted towards a woman who was speaking into his ear and the woman ends up being Umbridge Mm -hmm. so I am really curious as to what they were talking about that she would be really that she would be leaning into him, talking into his it's ear. It's boring stuff. Price of tea in China, you know that kind of stuff. No, come threats. on. She was threatening. It's him. not interesting. No, Every, any, <sighs> yeah, I think all the coolest stuff she says to him is is overheard. Um, I'd love you to come by and see my kittens. <laughs> <laughs> well, her hem hem, which we're introduced to in this chapter too, since we're back on Umbridge. Um, really just seems to be, and, and, and Jim Dale, over, you know, overdoes it. It's, it's overdone by, um, Imelda in the, uh, it's, it's bad, um, in a good way. Um, but, and it becomes the most annoying, most, um, you know, character feature of, of hers. Really, is she, is she just kind of clearing her throat because she needs to make a speech? Because maybe she has bronchitis. I would, I know, I would hate to think that this huge thing that we hate her for is really just her trying not to. <laughs> Um, yeah. hurt the student's ears with like a raspy like maybe she's got a, a voice like this like Wazowski you still haven't fired your paperwork right. no I um, it's funny I have a lot of British friends and one British male in particular that I know um, clears his throat a lot when he talks okay. I mean a lot like yeah it's just like couldn't just all the time just be like that uh, maybe, but I mean, is maybe it because I do that sometimes. I've, I've no, but this is all the time, like every other sentence. <clears throat> yeah, weird. <clears throat> you know, 
I don't know. Still, I like, you know, I'm not totally against the evolution of what it has become uh, in the films. Him, 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 him. How does Jim Dale do it? Give us a taste. It's just like that. Pretty much like that. It's really bad. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, I mean, bless the guy, you know, and we learn to hate that him, him, because it represents something that sounds sweet, but clearly is poisonous. Yeah, because Amelda does it more of like a, mm-hmm, like a, like a little laugh, mm-hmm. giggle thing, mm-hmm. as opposed to mm-hmm. that. But anyway, um, staying on the topic of Umbridge, our question of the week this week kind of revolves around, um, you know, something we t- we touched on very briefly, but a very different angle. So obviously, um, we met her in the last chapter, but we really get to actually meet her, meet her in this chapter. Um, and of course, she has just been appointed the new Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher, and she gives this as we talked about, this illuminating speech to staff and students alike. And when I was reading it, I was wondering, why is she doing this? Okay, why is she giving this speech? What was it meant to accomplish? And whom is she speaking to? Um, is she ta- really talking to the students? Is she really talking to the teachers? Um, is she really just kind of being introspective? And what did she expect to get out of it, if anything? What, did, what was the result supposed mm, to be? I think she was um, just stating her territory. Kind of peeing on the corners, you know? But we'll have to see. <laughs> Maybe. And that's entirely possible. But, you know, let's have our listeners respond. It's true. And, um, at com. So I want to thank Micah Tannenbaum for being our guest on the show this week. It was a great episode. I look forward to the iTunes reviews. <laughs> <laughs> I people, people look forward to leaving them, I'm sure. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... Uh, it's been great to come back on, and uh, I look forward to the uh, the fifth appearance. I don't know when that's going to be, but uh, it's always just uh, fun coming on and uh, talking with you guys. Hey, Micah, what, uh, who would you give the own to of this uh, chapter? The own of this chapter? Wait, I don't know what you're talking about. This is a segment. This is one of their, their game trying, of trying to grab pull over a segment. Yeah, we give... On Game of Owns, we give an own to whoever owned the... Ch- the ch- well, this isn't Game of Owns. Harry Potter owns on this show. What do you mean? So an own is like the person who wins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or wins or does okay. something that's especially... It's a powerful special. moment in a sarcastic line. Cool, uh, okay. We'll, we'll let you have who it. Who gets we'll it? Have, you can have it. I, I would... Uh, it's, it's a toss-up. I mean, I think the sorting hat mm. uh, definitely... And and the the performance earlier of the, yeah, the singing gets of the song. Own. I mean, that, that just... That owns the episode, uh, but as far as what owns the chapter, um, I would give it to Neville yeah. at the end. Kat, who would you give the own to? Oh, um, I think probably Parvati for the the uh, cardigan joke. <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, okay, and my own will go to Nearly Headless Nick, who is sitting down and enjoying the welcome feast with his fellow Gryffindors. I mean, how cool is that? I know that people get uncomfortable with him, but he's able to actually share some history. Ron completely disrespects him in true Ron fashion, but it would be really cool to have Nick. Um, and, and Nick, in this chapter, claims to be of noble blood, which doesn't come into play anywhere else. But He also claims not to be a coward, which we know is not No, Cadigan is the coward. But, but in a way, Nearly Headless Nick, is isn't he cowardly in the end of his, um, when he dies, there's some, he, he, that's why he's a ghost? Uh, well, he was afraid to move on. That's all. So that's yeah. cowardly. How can he say he's not? Sure, let's not get no, on no, this no, topic. No, but on the whole, uh, really, Nick, for, for spending some time with his housemates, um, 
And John Cleese. And John Cleese, yes. Owned to, to everybody. Better for John Cleese, yeah. everybody. Um, glad we yeah. brought that segment over. Well, if you would like to be on Alohomora as a guest host, you uh, there's a number of ways, another number of methods where you can apply. Those methods can be found at alohomora.mugglenet.com. It's our website, and uh, some equipment <laughs> is required. Some assembly of the equipment is required, but again, that's all on the website. Um, and in the meantime if you just want to stay in touch with us send us your own own <laughs> right you like that anyway we're on twitter at alohomoramn facebook.com slash open the dumbledore on tumblr at mn alohomora podcast of course our phone number is 206 go albus 206-462-5287 don't forget to subscribe and leave us a really awesome review on itunes mention micah a lot that would be really good <laughs> Um, follow us on Snapchat at MN underscore Alohomora and of course our audio boo where you can leave us a message directly on alohomora.mugglenet.com and we'll play it on the show. It's free and all you need is an internet connection and a microphone. And we also have a store. We really love it when you guys um, check out our merchandise and wear our shirts. We, we spend a lot of time customizing the designs. In fact, we want, we want to reach out to all of you um, asking what kind of materials you'd like to purchase in our store what sort of stuff would you like us to make um, because we want to serve you our fans and then there is of course the app for iphone and android and a number of uh, countries in which you can get this app it's available seemingly worldwide prices vary but on this app you can find transcripts bloopers alternate endings host vlogs and more um there's usually a piece of special um, surprise uh, presentation sort of thing in each hidden in this app every week. Um, so and don't forget our ringtones, which are free, and they're on the website as well. Lohmore.mugglenet.com. Yes. Oh, no, it's time for your special announcement. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to take this chance. Thank you, Eric. To um, make a little special announcement. Uh, a couple weeks ago, no, I think it was last week, I started a company because why not? I want to start a company. It's called Blue Steel Media Incorporated. Um, Blue Steel is an homage to Zoolander, which is the, the look that uh, Ben Stiller does in that fantabulous movie. Anyway, Blue Steel Media and the service under it called Writer's Block is a service. It's a team of creative writers that solve companies' writer's block. We, you know, a company comes to us or a client comes to us with something they need written, and we write it for them. So I'm looking out everywhere online. Um, if you're listening to the show and you are a creative writer, and not only you want to either you know, develop your writing skills, you're interested in startups, or, and you also want to uh, build a portfolio for writing, just uh, send me an email at noetstaff.mugglenet.com, and I'd be interested in, um, in talking with you. You might become part of my remote staff. Um, we're, we're growing pretty quick. It's only been a couple weeks, but we've already, uh, we've already started doing a deal with our first client, and there might even be a possibility of pay down the line if you, if you uh, continuously write for me. So... Just again, you can just send me an email, and that is all. That's all very exciting. And by the way, I am also going to summer camp to be a group leader, so I won't be on the next like five shows. <laughs> right? I was. I was oh, just. So, I was... so you need somebody? Is that what you're saying? Oh! 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 Uh, oh. Are you offering to fill in, Mike? I didn't realize that you liked <laughs> book five so much. What? No, well, it's actually <laughs> I, no. Book three is my favorite book, but you know, I was yeah. just—I'm joking around. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how things shape. We'll have to see how what the reviews look like. But uh, yeah, I think the reviews will have to will have to tell. Uh, it's uh, like I said. I was 
but yeah, that's uh, that that's all I wanted to say. Uh, well, I believe that does it. I am Eric Skull. I'm Noah Freed. And I'm Kat Miller. Thank you for listening to episode 88 of Alohomora. Him, 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 him. Open the Dumbledore. Him. I am the Sorting Hat. Open the Dumbledore. So Grubbly Plank is the new Care of Magical Teachers uh, creature for the year. Uh, <laughs> That's a great way to put it. You know, he, he doesn't say it's for – Dumbledore, did I say something wrong?